listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's a daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Friday, the 2nd of December 2022. Later, we'll talk about why the market now sees just a 55% chance we'll see an interest rate rise of 25 basis points on Tuesday when the Reserve Bank Board meets, but first to the world's most expensive cities. Australia's highest entrant was Sydney at number 10, but who is at the top spot? For more, I spoke earlier with Upasana Dutt from the Economist Intelligence Unit in India. First of all, just how much more expensive are the world's cities becoming and why? Well, a lot more expensive. Um, We are now calculating inflation at 8.1% globally. And this is the highest that we have digital records for in the past 20 years. So it's eye-wateringly expensive. And this compares to 5.5%, which is pretty high last year. Is there anywhere in the world where inflation is more of a problem than others? Well, globally, prices have risen in literally every city in the world. But I'd say that Western Europe has obviously found it more difficult, especially um, following the supply chain blockages um, because of COVID-19 restrictions. There was the Russia-Ukraine war in February 22, which just meant that oil supplies were limited, Western sanctions were applied. As a result, um, inflation has been extremely high in Western Europe. So you'll see a lot of Western European cities haven't fallen in our rankings. So you've ranked some of the world's biggest cities in terms of just how expensive they are. Before you reveal who they are, can you go through the methodology? Oh, absolutely. So what we do is we have... um, researchers and contributors in these cities they go to various levels of um, shopping marketing areas so we look at areas which are more reasonable mid-sized markets and then luxury markets and then about fifty thousand data points are uh, collected across the world and then this is indexed by economists we put it all together in one international currency for which um, which is us dollars for us and we benchmark all our cities against new york um, which is how the index is created and the rankings follow and their movements in the rankings depending on how they fare against uh, New York. So speaking of rankings, which are some of the world's most expensive cities? Surprisingly, um, we've got New York for the very first time. Um, it's never happened in the history of our double four rankings that New York's made to the top. But, you know, while I say surprising, it's also unsurprising because of how the Fed has constantly increased the interest rates, which has just meant that the dollar has appreciated significantly. Um, They moved uh, a little bit later, um, believing that the inflation rate um, was high and could be transitory, but that wasn't the case ultimately. Um, And when they raised, they kept raising it significantly and the other central banks then followed suit, but just meant that the dollar was much more stronger than um, any other currency um, in the world at this point in time which has also meant that lots of um, American cities have moved up uh, the ranking and New York's taken the cake. Of course, it's it's the most expensive city and it shares that uh, position with Singapore. Singapore is a repeat uh, sort of uh, first top position um, in our rankings. It's um, stood, uh, it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. And this is for the eighth time in the last 10 years that it's made it to the top. Okay, any other interesting moves on that list? Um, lots of interesting moves, especially because of uh, the very unpredictable climate that we live in now, right? So we've got um, Japanese cities, which have moved down the ranking. 
That's because uh, it's desirous for the central bank to keep the inflation um, rate uh, a little higher than other cities in the world. They have not managed the um, interest rates like other banks have across the world, which has uh, enabled, which has actually pushed the Japanese cities down a little bit. Um, on the other hand, uh, commodity prices are very strong in Australia, so they have been able to maintain their position, their current account surplus was, was uh, quite high, which is why uh, they did not fall down the rankings like other cities have. And of course, most interestingly, the Russian cities have gone up the ranking because of the capital controls, import restrictions, and of course, uh, you, they continue to sell gas and oil um, in rubles. So that, uh, that has upheld the currency quite a bit. Upasana Jut there from the Economist Intelligence Unit in India. Now to the Australian share market, which ended the week down. The S&P ASX 200 down 0.7%, 7,301. For more, I spoke earlier with Omkar Joshi from Opal Capital Management. So losses have been pretty much across the board today, and it's really just a give back of some of the rally that we saw yesterday. So it's not unusual, especially in this market, where you do have a sharp rally one day and you tend to have a bit of a weaker day the next day after that. So some of that, that rally was attributed to these macro factors, right? The US and China. A potential pivot from the US Federal Reserve when it comes to interest rates. Then these ongoing developments out of China in terms of COVID policies and a potential relaxation of that. Just how significant are these two? Yeah, so those are both very positive um, positive changes for the market, given that obviously if China does start to loosen up its COVID policies, that does mean that there's a lot more of a reopening trade that starts to, starts to come through in China. I guess China is the last reopening trade that's left globally, given that they have been effectively closed for the last two or three years. And so that, that's very positive, especially for the resources side of things as well. And that, that obviously feeds straight through to Australia. So it's very positive there. Um, and then obviously, you know, potentially a, a pivot from, from um, the Federal Reserve is also positive for the markets, as given that that has been something that's weighed on markets all year. And so, while, while they're probably not going to be cutting rates anytime soon, just lessening the increases does start to, start to get taken a little bit more positively, just given how negative sentiment has really gotten. Speaking of pivoting, what about a pause? Uh, earlier this week, we saw here in Australia the CPI indicator, which seemed to suggest that there's been a, a slowdown in inflation. And now there's some talk that, hey, the Reserve Bank may look at this data. There was also data out about uh, new home loan approvals down um, for, the, for the last few months as well. What's the market now thinking the RBA will do next month and ongoing? Yeah, so the market is actually only pricing in a 55% chance next week of a rate hike of 25 basis points. So that's considerably lower than what the market was pricing in if we go back a few months ago. And so we've already seen um, back in October, you know, the RBA did actually only do 25 points when it was basically an 80% chance of a 50-point increase. So we've seen the RBA start to lessen the speed of hikes and really start to become a bit more focused on waiting to see what's actually happened as a result of the right hikes that have already occurred. And so if we start to see more of that commentary, um, yeah, it, it's quite possible next week that we maybe we still get a 25-point hike, but we are getting to that point where the RBA is going to be a bit more um, a bit more patient in terms of the rate hikes that come through and just watch what's already happened um, off the back of what they've already done. And finally, this is li- likely to be the last time I speak to you before the end of the year. Can you look into your crystal ball for 2023? What do you think will be the key themes and opportunities for investors? So I think one of the key themes is going to be what happens with central bank policy around monetary policy. So interest rates obviously were a key driver throughout this year. And, and the fact is that we saw a significant steepening in rates and a, and a lift in short rates in particular. 
next year it's going to be really what, what happens with interest rates again. And so if we do start to see interest rates stay where they are or even come back down potentially, then that is going to be very positive for equity markets and risk assets in particular. So that's definitely something to watch. I mean, it's quite possible we see interest rates continue to go up, um, but interest rates will be key and, and obviously that will be on the back of what happens with inflation. And so obviously this year we saw a lot of inflation coming through. It's starting to now peak out potentially. But if we do start to see that come back down quickly, that all ties in with what happens with rates. So I think both of those are important for next year. And then again, the other piece is really M&A, and that, that has been a very big theme all through this year, and I suspect there'll be more of that to come next year, especially if we do see a bit more stability in, in broader equity markets. I'm Carl Joshi there from Opal Capital Management. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.